so cool. Amazing. It's amazing. Oh my god. Wow. This is super cool. Hello, and welcome to Stir Fried Fascination. My name is Rasmus, and I'm fascinated by almost everything. How the brain works. Cave paintings. The history of robots. Why some cheeses are smellier than others. Really tall people. And Belgium. Today, I'm going to learn about quantum computing. And whom better to ask than John Martinez, who actually built one, and not just any old half-priced one. Him and his team at Google built a quantum computer that could beat a supercomputer. Amazing! John is a professor at UC Santa Barbara, and his work on quantum supremacy has been covered in Nature, IEE Spectrum, MIT Tech Report, Wall Street Journal, and lots and lots of other media outlets. Now let's get started. Hey John, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. Um, I'm going to enjoy the conversation this morning. So uh, what inspired you to get into quantum computing in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, when you take physics um, and you start learning how nature works, mm -hmm. uh, one of the most fun classes you take is quantum mechanics because it's this very strange and non-intuitive phenomenon yeah. Yeah. that is, of course, very important for the modern world because we have to understand how atoms work. And right. uh, so you, you take that and it's exciting. It's very strange. It's very mm. mathematical. And it, Do you actually and then, enjoy that, though? Do you enjoy the mathematics of it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, a different mathematics. And part of the problem is that, you know, you're used to kind of classical things, how it works around you. And you gain an intuition for how things work. But all that intuition really doesn't help you necessarily too much when you study quantum mechanics. Right, so you yeah. kind of have to understand both from a conceptual level what's going on and yeah. then from a mathematical level, which, of course, is what we try to do in physics is describe things that way. So it's really a, this yeah, great place where you you uh, great subject where you learn things. Uh, learn new things different way. It, it's very surprising. And the nice thing about quantum computers is it kind of simplifies quantum mechanics, where you're talking about you know s simple qubits or whatever, and, and you get to understand quantum mechanics on a very fundamental and almost abstracted way, so that you can really get at what's going on deeply. And then, of course, once you do experiments with a quantum computer for, you know, years and years, it just seems totally natural, just like, you know, dropping a ball and watching it, you know, fall to the earth. Well, when you do right. quantum mechanics and you're playing with it all the time, then it just becomes so used something. To it. Right. Yeah, you get used to it, and it's, it's not so strange uh, anymore. I mean, it's still mm, right, strange, yeah. of course. It's still different, but it doesn't right. seem that unnatural anymore. And that's what I think is is kind of great about quantum computing is mm. uh, it's a nice vehicle to really understand quantum mechanics much more deeply. Right, yeah. And that's what's happened over the last 10, 20 years or more that I've been in the field is people can do these more and more probing experiments that makes, uh, right. makes physics so interesting. Yeah, and I guess, of course, the more you play with something, even if you don't exactly understand what be, what's behind the thing you're using, the more intuitive it becomes anyway. Yeah, and it's also interesting to see that, you know, humans are pattern recognition machines. So if you play right. with something and you see a pattern, you know, you, you say you understand it. But of course, in science, you say, yeah, okay, you can 
you can understand the pattern, but you have to understand the mathematics and the detail what's going on. And that's what's great about physics is you're trying to match the patterns you're seeing all around you with, you know, mm. some mathematics and a deeper understanding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about it before also. A lot of people focus on the fact that quantum mechanics is kind of strange. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, humans have believed in a lot stranger things in the past. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, elephants with several arms uh, that are gods that live in the sky. There are, you know, minotaurs, uh, horse people. Uh, so, so like on the larger scale of things, it's not that weird. Well, yeah, and you know, uh, if you look at the history of computers, um, you know, yeah. I'm old enough now that when I was a young person. Computers were these strange and mysterious things, and right. uh, you know, not very many people understood them in that sense. And yet, when you saw oh, yeah. my my boys growing up, and they started playing with it, and they started programming when they were, I don't know, twelve years old or so, mm, by yeah. going online and looking at courses and downloading things, and you know, you can kind of just learn it on your own almost now. So, uh, yeah, yeah, things, yeah, things sure. get different once you can start playing with something and yeah. seeing how it works. And, of course, it interests you and you're motivated to do that. And I think that's what's going to happen more and more with quantum mechanics as we build these much more sophisticated and maybe easy to use quantum systems. People have talked about this, that really computer science and the whole industry of software uh, really blossomed immensely when people could start playing with computers and they got cheap enough. So, oh, right, uh, yeah, yeah in, in, you know, that's what we're hoping will hap happen with quantum computers too, is, mm. you know, we have to build these things and learn how to use, but as more and more people can learn how to program it and use it and, you know, who knows what inventiveness will come out. Well, what sort of, uh, what sort of stage are we in right now? Are we like comparable to the old Colossus computer that yeah, was yeah. used? Yeah, the very uh, first quantum computers. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, very first computers. We're at that stage. And, uh, and I'm going to say um, um, the computers at this point are pretty rudimentary. And I would say the quantum supremacy experiment we did at Google was kind of unique in that we were able to do something to show the power of the quantum computing it is a very mm -hmm. much crafted problem. A lot yep. of people say it's not useful. I think it's useful, but it's kind of more subtle things that it's useful for. But right, uh, yeah. kind of the first time that you really showed the power of it. And of course, by showing that a quantum computer can be powerful in the sense that you can't reproduce the result with a supercomputer, mm -hmm. uh, then uh, you know people see that this is not just some physics pipe dream. But, right. uh, you know, actually, so I think it's created a lot of industrial effort. Uh, let's just uh, let's, let's just uh, let's just try and simplify that for the audience as well. So yeah. uh, this quantum supremacy thing, what it's about is basically proving that you could make a quantum computer that could be better at something than a, a normal supercomputer. That's right. Uh, and it's powerful right. and 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 you the way it's built, you know, it's a if you compare it to a supercomputer, it has mm -hmm. a relatively small number of qubits compared to bits. Right, yeah. And it's For relatively sure. small. I mean it's a sophisticated scientific instrument. But to have this uh, this rather small machine being hard to impossible to reproduce with the world's biggest supercomputer, I mean that's mm -hmm. kinda that kind of tells you there's something 
fundamentally interesting and important. How big is it? Uh, how oh, big is that? It's, um, it's the size of, I'm looking in my, my kitchen right now, I'm looking at my refrigerator. It's the size of <laughs> three or four refrigerators, say. Three or four refrigerators. Oh, yeah, so okay. It's not tiny like your laptop, yeah. but it's, you know, comfortably fits in a room and, mm. and uh, you know, uh, yeah. you, you can work on it yourself. I was actually thinking about refrigerators earlier as well today because here I am going to talk about quantum computing with an expert in quantum computing, but I'm actually fascinated by all sorts of technology. I mean, I don't know how my refrigerator works either. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of interesting. I don't know how my vacuum cleaner works. But on the other hand, uh, like vacuum cleaners don't have a sort of Moore's law where they sort of get better and better exponentially. Yeah, right. Uh, right so right. they're not they're not as interesting to look at as, uh, and they don't have this sort of uh, strange, mysterious part to them either, as uh, like yeah, uh, quantum and, computers and do. And that's what's interesting, of course, about quantum computing is it has this strange new uh, power in it, which mm -hmm. basically comes from some kind of parallel computing that you're able right, to. Yeah. Quantum computer, which you, it's hard yeah. to take advantage of. You have to write good software to take advantage of it, but it's a really mm -hmm. a new concept. And that's why people, it's just so new and so weird. That's why people always thought that this was going to be a pipe dream and not reality. Right, because exactly. It's hard yeah. to imagine that's going to do something. So that's why we did the experiment, is to mm -hmm. really show people. It's kind of funny, though. The physicists expected it to work, although they yeah. they. I think a lot of people thought, well, it's going to take quite a few years to get it to work. Yeah. So we yeah. did it faster. But I think yeah. for the normal technologists, let's say Silicon Valley executive, Google executive, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah. oh, okay, you say that's true, but you know, can you really get it to work? And, right. uh, yeah, you exactly. know, and, and that's important. You have to show things. And I would say the other thing that happened is there's a lot of basic science that you don't know it's if it's going to work if you build a complex system or you do something like that experiment. And this mm -hmm. was also a big test of science and the validity of quantum mechanics and does it work in a way that it has to work to build yeah, a quantum exactly. computer. And, you know, right, it, yeah. it, it's possible that it would have failed either from mm -hmm. fundamental or practical reasons. And as scientists, you, you have to test things. Right. Uh, I think you have a colleague called Scott Aronson. I saw him yeah. on YouTube when I was trying to uh, figure things out. And he, he was saying that it would actually be may, way more interesting if it failed, because then we oh, yeah, sort of, of learned something, we'd learn something new about, uh, about quantum physics. Yeah. And, but you know, in physics, physicists are always pushing the boundaries of what we mm. know. And yeah. you have some phenomenon and you, you change it a little bit and you see if it's real valid. And uh, it's a very important part of physics. And, of course, the most important things happen uh, is, is when it doesn't work, as Scott says. But yeah. what was interesting in the, the quantum computer is up until our experiment, people had, had done experiments. They were doing this parallel computing of about a thousand states. So imagine a computer and you have, like, let's say, a thousand laptops that are solving a problem simultaneously. Okay. So, hang on, so hang on. Let's, maybe before we get into this, we should actually explain sort of a little bit about quantum computing. Maybe this is a good time to get into what parallel computing is and all that. So if you take it away, like from the top, uh, what, how do, what is a quantum computer? How, uh, how do they work? Yeah, so to understand the quantum computer, maybe we can first start a little bit about how atoms work. 
So let's just take a, a simple example of the hydrogen atom, which is the simplest atom there is. Right. And that consists of a proton, the, the, the nucleus, and then the mm. electron, which is orbiting around the nucleus because it's so much lighter. And right. if they're, they're of opposite charge and they're going to attract each other, kind of like mm -hmm. you think with gravitation, with gravity, which you, you all understand. Um, mm -hmm. Now, the, the strange thing is, is if you had an electron attracted to the proton, they would just stick to each other. And you right, would yeah. ask, well, why do atoms have size? Why does matter around us have size at all if these two fundamental particles just want to stick to each other? Right, and yeah. you need to have some strange non-classical physics going on just to explain the world around this and why material have size. And, and clearly, if there was not quantum mechanics... You know, we wouldn't be here. I don't know what the world would look like, but you absolutely quantum mechanics. <laughs> and what happens is, is quantum mechanics says is the this this motion of the uh, electron. It's uh, it's no longer like a point particle anymore. It's what mm -hmm. what I used to tell my kids is that the electron is fuzzy. Okay, it's right. not a point particle. It has some size to it in a kind of a, a kind of a very strange way. So they mm -hmm. always when I said that because I never believed it. I like that. <laughs> right. Which is great. I had to give them better explanations, but of course that's hard. So the, the atom uh, has size because you're saying because there's this uh, electron which is fuzzy. It's not in one place. So that's right. if it was in one place, it would it could somehow decide to, well, actually, I'm just going to follow classical laws and I'm just going to... Uh, it attracted go, to the proton. And, and, they attracted the proton and, and stick and, to it. And it wouldn't do anything. So it, it has some, some good spatial extent. Now, what's interesting is people often think quantum mechanics, you have something called the uncertainty right. principle. And the, like the electron mm -hmm. is jumping around in some fuzzy way around the proton. But it turns out quantum mechanics doesn't work that way. It's actually a very, very precise mm -hmm. motion, okay? And the motion is through something physicists study called right. waves. And for example, if you pluck a, a guitar string, there's going to be a, a, a wave in that, and the guitar string is oscillating back and forth in mm -hmm. a certain pattern, okay? And at the two ends of the string, it's not moving at all. And kind of in the center of the string, it's moving right. the most. And it turns out that matter and electrons kind of behave in the same way, where they have this, what we call a standing mm -hmm. wave pattern, like a guitar string, that it's oscillating. Right. And it's a very well-defined kind of oscillation, just like the note has a very well-defined frequency in a string. Right, but this is kind of different here because we're talking about a wave that relates somehow to probability, the probability that if we yeah. measure it, it's going to be in one specific place, right? Is that correct? That's right. So if you look at the yeah. guitar string analogy, then mm -hmm. where the wave is the biggest, it would be the most probable to be there. And at the mm -hmm. ends of the strings where it's held tight, then the probability is going to go to zero at the two ends. So right. there, there's this strange, you know, kind of thing you have to understand about quantum mechanics that the kind of the amplitude of the wave tells you the probability. And then that's kind of the fuzziness is that this wave 
has some extent, you know, across the atom. Right, exactly. Uh, so the wave function basically decides sort of where it might be. That's and, right. Uh, but we but don't the, know actually what's going on. Is that it's very well-defined uh, yeah. wave property. And, you know, people make, you know, atomic clocks out of these oscillating waves that mm -hmm. are accurate to a part in, I don't know, 10 to the 16 right now. It's very, very mm -hmm. accurate. Extremely. Mm -hmm precise and in some sense it's some of the most precise things we know about nature is, mm -hmm. is you know how well defined these oscillations are and these waves are it's really kind of remarkable right. how that works yeah it's, if it's if it's very well defined and we know the mathematics on how it's well defined mm -hmm. then we can use that phenomenon for doing precision experiments and measurements so you make right. clocks for your gps and you can mm -hmm. also build a quantum computer out it because the motion of these quantum systems are very very precisely known and can be predicted and you know one can mm. build a whole logical structure out of that right so basically this is how i understand it you don't actually know what happens uh when you're not actually measuring where the uh, electron is. Well, uh, that's but... actually, that, let me be a little bit more precise, okay? Okay. What yeah. happens is you, you manipulate this state and mm -hmm. it's obeying quantum mechanics and you actually know what's happening with it. You can predict it, there are mathematical equations yep. and all that. So it's extremely predictable, which is, of course, what you right, need yeah. for a computer. However, yeah, for you sure. go measure it, and you want to know, okay, you know, what's really going on with the quantum system? Where is the electron? Yeah. Then when you measure is where you have uncertainty. It can be sometimes here mm. or sometimes here. Right, so, yeah. so, so what happens is you, you, you can predict what's happening with the quantum system very, mm. very precisely until you go ahead and you try to extract information and measure it. And then you, you get a probability out of it. And it's, it's that prediction that we know something about, right? It's that prediction that we're precise about. That's right. And, and what happens with the prediction, since it can have several outcomes, you get a probability. So sometimes it's going to be here, but sometimes it's going to be here. And when you measure it many, many times, you get some probability distribution. And that you, you can compare very precisely with theory. Right, yeah. So uh, how, how do you actually use this to build a computer? So um, what we do is we take, uh, I'm just going to use the hydrogen atom for as an example. Sure. So the hydrogen atom, it, the normal state is in its lower energy state, which mm -hmm. in um, some orbital language is the 1s state, okay, which just okay. says it has a certain wave to it. Okay, yeah. and we encode that to the zero state of a bit or quantum bit. Uh, we, we talk about quantum bits when we start talking about quantum mechanics. But in analogy, this would be a zero, okay, which is going to use some information. And then if you go to an, an excited state, so mm -hmm. if you look at your guitar string, that would be an, an overtone, and then you encode that as a one. And right. then, and then so, so, so you encode, you code it with the quantum states. And then mm -hmm. what you could do is you could put in pulses of light that would cause a transition from one state to the other. 
right. you know, changing the frequency of the Qatar string. Mm-hmm. And then that would be equivalent to doing a manipulation of the logic state from a zero state to a one state. Right. Just so, like you do with a classical computer. Hey, you have zeros right, and yeah. ones. And one of the operations is to change it from a zero to one. And a mm-hmm. classical computer, one of the operations is to have two bits and have those two bits interact in some way to give you an output. So, so you do a similar so thing with a quantum if you just have these, If you just have these two states, then it's going to be like an ordinary computer, basically. Well, yeah. Uh, what will happen, of course, it is a little bit different because in an mm-hmm. ordinary computer, you know, you, you could put in a zero to an algorithm and run the algorithm and get an answer. And then yeah. you would put in a one into an algorithm and get the answer. And But you mm-hmm. have to run it twice, right? With a quantum computer, you could um, put in a state that's both zero and one at the same time, run it once through the quantum computer, and mm-hmm. then you know get some answer out of it. And because of that, you get this kind of parallelism out of the quantum computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Now, you know, how to measure it and what the algorithm is, that's very complicated, okay? But wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, John, let's get into this parallel computing a bit because um, I'd like to understand this a little bit better. This is how I think about it. And, you, and I think, just correct me if I'm wrong. I draw a parallel to the English language. So in the English alphabet, uh, we have letters uh, that combine into words. So if you want to write the word house, you need to use a combination of letters. On the other hand, in Chinese language, you can use one sign for house. So if you wanted to change the word house in the English language to some other word, let's say table, then you would have to do operations on each and every letter one at a time, basically. But on the other hand, if you would take the word house and then translating into Chinese first, which is one sign. Right. Then you could, do, you could do one operation on that sign and change it into table, the Chinese word for table. And that would only take one operation. You wouldn't have to change a bunch of letters. You would just change that one sign. And then you would have to translate it back to English again to get the answer. Uh, is that a good parallel to what's going on? Yeah, it, it's it, it's an interesting parallel. I hadn't thought of this. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of is um, an idea of using uh, coding, which they um, um, which in data compression. That's a better word. Yeah. Where right, um, yeah. you you compress it to this Chinese symbol, and I, yeah, I would say that quantum mechanics is different than data compression. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's an yeah. interesting analogy, but I'm not quite sure uh, that's, that it works. Uh, so th- let me let me explain. Maybe you know, maybe you'll you'll understand why this parallelism is so important. So with with one quantum bit, you get a parallelism of two. Okay, and which is nice, but okay, I can just run my classical computer twice. And it, it's fine. Mm. But what's yeah. interesting and profoundly important about quantum mechanics is the way that it scales. So, uh, and I'm I'm thinking of an analogy you might like here. So if you have two quantum bits, and then they're each in a superposition of zero and one, that means you're actually running four states at the same time, zero, 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 one, one, zero, and one, one. Okay. Okay. 
And if you have three qubits, it's 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 1, 0, 1, 0, 0, 1, 1. Then there's eight states, okay? Mm -hmm. So every time you add a qubit, you're doubling the number of, of uh, parallelism, right. which, which means, you know, it's growing what we say exponentially. It's growing very, very large. Somehow this still seems like compression to me. Somehow this still seems like you can encode more information in in a smaller a smaller bit than if you would use a classical computer because you have more combinations, right? That's the that's the main sort of geist of it, right? And this is what happens in classical computers: is is you make bits into bytes into longer words, you can encode more and more complex information, which we all know about in our computer. But the yeah. problem is in a classical computer, as you make the bit strings longer and longer, you still have to process that information one unit at a time, mm -hmm. right? one byte at a time, one word at a time, something like that. Right. Whereas in a quantum computer, you could process all the information. So you take, you know, you take house and table and chair and mm -hmm. you know, a ton of words. Yeah. And all of those words can get processed in parallel. Right. Right. Yeah. And you can convert them into Chinese and then back again, all in parallel. You don't have to do it, you know, a thousand times. You just do it once. Okay. Your analogy okay, we... is talking about the, the how powerful it is to string bits together to make things more and more complicated. What the quantum mm -hmm. computer says is as you make it bigger and bigger, it's still you can make it into one operation. You don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can process house and table and chair in one operation. Right. This is where it gets very strange, though. That's what's wonderful about it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I guess that's why you constantly want to try to find parallels in the normal universe to sort of try to wrap your head around it. But then it sort of escapes the, your normal parallels anyway. Uh, right. So I think uh, I kind of understand what you're getting at. And uh, I think what we're going to do is to take a little break on the... Uh, uh, understanding of the quantum computer, because okay. I think for the audience it gets a little bit heavy if you're if we're going to move on to the next concept now and explain, uh, uh, let's say, quantum cooling or something like that. Uh, so let's let's try something a little bit lighter in the meantime. Sure. Uh, so, what are these for? What do you use quantum computers for? Well, um, you use quantum computers for doing computational problems, just like right. the, the fundamental idea here is we know computers are so important. If there's a new way to do computing, that's potentially way, way more powerful than what we know how to do now. Mm -hmm. Well, we should just be investigating that. And I think part of the reason people think about this now a little bit more is, um, you know, uh, there's, there's Moore's law that says that the, the computing power is doubled every so many years. But mm. you know, as things get more and more complex, uh, it's, it's harder to keep on improving the performance over time in the way. And right. of course, if you have anything exponential, at some point it has to stop. Okay. Right, so yeah. so yeah. people are looking at alternatives to it. Now, that mm -hmm. all being said, I think people understand with a quantum computer, 
it's not going to be as general purpose as a regular computer. But mm -hmm. there's enough algorithms out there that people are excited that it would be do, doing something. And of course, people didn't necessarily expect all the amazing things you can do with a classical computer. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. And there's also like classically, I mean, there's also a lot of things that we didn't expect to be interesting when they were invented, let's say the laser or, or yeah. even the the telephone, uh, like the, the mobile telephone when it came, yes. a lot of people didn't really think it would be as big as it is. Maybe Steve mm. Jobs knew, but you know, a lot of Yeah, them. exactly. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and, and uh, you know, it's what I like about it is a very important scientific quest where mm. we build it and see if we can operate quantum mechanics in this way uh, and right. as well as something that could be very practical. It would be really nice to hear some more specific ideas. Uh, so, so, yeah, let me talk a little bit about quantum chemistry. And, right. and the reason I like to talk about quantum chemistry is, you know, my particular, my personality is such I really like to think about, you know, definite ideas. And I think quantum chem chemistry is a very definite application that's real. We're going to do it. It's going to be very helpful. You know, as long as we can build a quantum computer. Right. It's certain. Like, we know that that's going to happen if we can build a quantum computer. Yeah, the basic idea behind this is actually kind of simple, is we mm. know that atoms and molecules are put together by quantum mechanics. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You could think about, you know, mimicking that quantum mechanics with a with another quantum system mapping a you know a quantum chemistry problem onto a quantum computer this was mm. first kind of hypothesized and brought forward by richard feynman in the early 1980s but what was interesting is that uh, you know it's early 1980s but it was only in the mid 2000s that people started to understand that mapping i mean it's really complicated and then, you know, there was a first um, first mapping that people did, and it was extremely inefficient so that you would never expect a quantum computer to be able to solve a realistic problem. But what, what's as usual in science is people started looking at all the assumptions and figuring out ways around it and blah, blah, blah. So that now, uh, in, let's say a space of about 10 years or so, uh, people learn how to do the mapping efficiently so that we now think we can do it. And what happened is there, there's people at Google working on the theory of this. They're projecting, uh, if we can build everything right, at 100,000 to a million qubits, uh, we could start solving quantum chemistry problems for real that we can't solve today. That's, you know, clearly far away from where we are now. But Sorry, I missed how many, uh, how many qubits do you need for that? Uh, we need um, we need uh, about a hundred, say a hundred thousand qubits, and the qubits have to be better than mm. what we're doing now. Right. Yeah. To yeah. do error correction, need to do these things. Now that all right, being yeah. said, people have been doing quantum chemistry with qubits, and we did one uh, of, was about five six years ago, and other people have doing it. And the Google group just submitted kind of the most complex problem. Uh, uh, in a paper just recently. So it's way, way more complex than whatever has done, been done before. For practicing the algorithms, there are some new clever things that they've done there to get it to work. And, you know, people will be, you know, investigating this more and more and showing that it's a real application. They're doing real experiments now. 
I'm going to ask you kind of a silly question, but I'd like to ask you anyway. Uh, can you get a virus on a quantum computer? <laughs> yeah, that's something I haven't thought about. That's a good question. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have no idea. That, that's a really good question. I don't know, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, what you would do with it. I mean, no. you know, if you want to, if you want to kill the quantum computer, you just cause something for the for, to add more noise, and then yeah, it, <laughs> right, yeah, so easy for it to not to work. That uh, yeah. you know, then to work, being so careful about it being working. But you know, it's probably like every other software, and uh, mm -hmm. you have to be careful about what you're you're running and whether it's it's doing sensibly. But it's it's you know you're going to use a classical computer to talk and control a quantum computer, so it's much right. more likely that the virus is going to be in the classical control than it is in the quantum computer. I think there's much more opportunity there. That's fun, though. Thank you. That's a good question. And that's it for now. John has so much more to say about his tallying gadget that it got a little bit long for one episode, so I decided to cut the podcast in two. Kind of like splitting a really good grapefruit, or an atom, or a piece of cake that becomes two pieces of cake. And if you have a question for John, then go to my YouTube channel. Yes, I have one. And write your question in the comments field for this episode. And when you're there anyway, don't forget to like and subscribe. But before you go there, don't forget to subscribe here as well. And while you're doing that, why not also open your window and just shout out the name of my podcast. Stir Fried Fascination! Thanks for listening, and see you in the next one.